We have a lot in common. It's yes. funny. I'm under pressure because, Manon, you record podcasts with France Bleu Besançon every yes, week. Yes, but I'm used to it, but there's no problem. You know, we're in a... Don't worry, I haven't slept in three nights, so I'll try to be dynamic. Welcome to Cross Pass, the brand new UTMB World Series podcast. Each month, two trail runners, one elite and one amateur, will meet and discuss what trail running means to them. In their conversation, they'll also reveal what drives them in life and how they express it on the hills. They will share their common passions, interests, beliefs, and get to know each other along the way. And so will we. In this third episode, we welcome the French trail runner Manon Bouard, who just finished third at Inbrook's World Mountain and Trail Running Championships. She also won the TDS 2021 and is the daughter of the famous trail runner Patrick Bohar. She met another Manon from the Jura Mountains, also passionate about trail running, Manon Bodoz, who finished her first UTMB in 2022. They both discussed the meaning of their passion for trail running, the various experiences on the races, the beauty of the mountains, judo, family, and of course, the recipe for the perfect risotto. We hope you'll enjoy this privileged moment where they cross paths. Salut Manon. Hi Manon. Salut Manon. Hi Manon. <laughs> How are you? Fine and you? Ça va, oui. I'm all right. Just a little tired, but I'm very happy to meet you. Congratulations on your third place. Yes, thank you. That's also why I'm a little tired. I suggest we begin by introducing you to our listeners who do not know you. You are from the Jura region in France. You are a nature lover. After several years practicing judo, you took part in your first competitions. You played badminton until you were 20, and it was during this period that you started running with one of your friends who also played badminton. It was a real revelation for you. It seems to me it was an obvious choice for you. So today, after 10 years of practice, your passion for trail running hasn't left you. Far from it. And on the professional side, you are the manager of a team and also a self-employed NLP coach. NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. And you are a trainer for the Vote Association of Medical, Psychological, and Social Institutions. Is there anything that you would like to add? No, you introduced me very well. Manon, you are also from the Jura region. You are the daughter of the famous ultra-trailer Patrick Bouard. You have been immersed in the world of trail running since your youngest age, but you did not start this discipline until much later when you arrived in Besançon in 2017. You have risen brilliantly in recent years on the trails, notably winning the TDS in 2021 or more recently the MIUT in Madeira. You joined the French team for the World Trail Championships in November 2022 and you were second selected for Innsbruck, Austria. Alongside your life as an athlete, you work as a full-time dietitian, nutritionist. Yes, that's correct. And we have a lot in common. The Jura, uh, a love of nature, mm, judo. Judo, yes. Because I also practiced judo earlier in my life. And yes, Innsbruck, it's true that it was quite crazy and it was a nice revenge on the worlds in which I was able to participate during my first selection in November. It was warmer. It was in Thailand. I don't know if you follow the trail running scene a bit. Yes? Yes, yes, I followed a bit. Again, congratulations on your third place. I watched the end of the race and it was incredible, full of emotions. Mm. And for you, how did you feel about this race? 
<laughs> exactly. It was full of a range of emotions. But actually, I needed to disregard all that during the race. It was so odd. First, the departure, which is emotionally very, uh, it's a great moment, but where you still have to quickly get into your race and then not lose focus, not leave too much in the tank, neither too quickly nor too slowly, especially when you are looking to win a medal. Our collective objective was really to honor the title of world champion again. However, my legs weren't feeling that strong. But so, yeah, many emotions and a great satisfaction to be in Innsbruck. And a great collective adventure for a long time with Marion de Lespierre, who was really in better shape than me. So she took off. I knew from seeing her gaze and through her determination from the start of her race management that she was going to do something big. So I hung on for second place, <laughs> then for a third place. And what we experienced at the finish in terms of emotion is quite uh, indescribable. So for you who did team sports like badminton after contact sports like judo, I think that running is an individual sport, but where you can share so many things on top of these experiences. And it can also be a great team sport. So if you have the opportunity to race as a team or in a relay, I recommend it because it's really, uh, you surpass yourself. You transcend yourself and that surpasses the effort, I think. Funny story. I don't know if you looked at it. I don't think you had time to watch the replay, but it's true that the speaker at the end, when you arrived, was saying, we know her, that's Manon, she's going to cry, she's going to cry. And it happened. And it yeah, was beautiful that's true. to <laughs> Yes, yes, I always cry. Mm. To be honest, I shared a room with Jocelyn Polly, and we were exhausted at night. It was very difficult to eat, we showered, then we had the doping controls, there were interviews, there was a flower ceremony. So we went to bed quite late and our beds were really waiting for us. But at half past three in the morning, we were both wide awake. We were already up and then what did we do? We did all our laundry. <laughs> we had left everything to the trainers who did the assistance, the flasks and everything. So we washed everything. We put away all our things and we watched the live for a good hour and a half while impatiently waiting for the breakfast and the opening of the buffet because there I can tell you that we were very, very hungry, but it was great to follow. Actually, you relive the race through the others. You see yourself running, but you also see what the others have experienced and there is that sense of camaraderie, like I was telling you about, sharing moments and race anecdotes. I don't know if you have already, for example, taken the start of a race with friends, and afterwards you all relive your experience together. I think that's what enriches our it's practice. It's incredible. It is the shared exchanges about the same course, but with different emotions. It's very, yeah, it's very rich, very strong. Alone or shared, it definitely doesn't have the same feeling. It's an introspection, but it can also be a nice moment of exchange after and then of laughter because of the anecdotes. We all have quite a few of those. We could practically write a book. When you were playing sports when you were a little younger, what did you do with judo and then after badminton? How was it? So I started with judo slightly out of obligation. It's true that my parents thought it was important for me to participate in a sport and sign me up for judo class because it was our village club. My parents were farmers, so they didn't really have time to take me here and there to do activities. Mm, the ease of schedules. Exactly. So there was a judo club in the village, so I did seven years of judo and then a bit of dancing afterwards. But to be honest, judo wasn't really my favorite sport. 
Around 20, 21 years old, I started playing badminton. And I first tried playing badminton as a hobby, and then afterwards in competition. I played at the local and regional level, and then I have a friend who motivated me to go running, so I ran. Here I was, for a few kilometers at first, and then we signed up for our first 10-kilometer trail. I felt like I was leaving my body at the end of the trail. <laughs> That's what everyone says. And then afterwards, one thing led to another. I like doing an activity outdoors, really having fun outside. Mm. Judo is an indoor sport. I also practiced judo for a long time. Uh, in your experience, did you still have to put on your trainers to go running, to go and maintain a little bit of, um, I mean, for weight management, was it something that you had to do, not for fun, that you're talking about here with your friend, or was the joy of running the driving force of you going out to run? Wasn't it a constraint to run at that time when you practiced judo? Because it's a sport where you have to be careful to stay in the weight class category. Maybe a little bit, but... Not for, I never saw running as a constraint. So yeah, I always had fun running, even if it was 200 meters, 300 meters. I've always had fun. Okay. okay. You must be part of the one person of the population who starts running and takes pleasure in it straight away. Maybe, yes. Because even in the middle school, I remember I really enjoyed doing the middle school runs. Okay. Yeah, okay, nice. Fine by me. And then, did judo still bring you something? Because it's your first sport, and we know that in childhood, there are somewhat pivotal periods for children when they practice one or two sports in terms of personal development and motor development, physical abilities. And I'm thinking in particular a little about character, about values. Did it bring you things for later in your life and your development as a sports person and as a sportswoman today? So I was very young when I started judo, but I think that one of the values there is respect for others mm. and also a taste for sports. So that's what's great about judo. And what about the mind? Did it build a little? A little bit also. Yes, maybe. <laughs> Does it help you in your trail competitions now? Yes, I think that helps me. Okay. And you, how long did you do judo? I did it until I was 18. Oh, yes. I lived judo. I slept judo. I ate judo. I trained with the French team in Dijon and the Besançon team. Okay. So I still had a good level, but what happened was I tore the ligaments in my hand the year when I was selected for the French championships to then take part in international competitions, and there everything collapsed. When you're 15, 16, and you're that deep into competitions, into sport, and that's your main drive alongside studies, it's very complicated because you're also still developing. Mm -hmm. I do not necessarily have a very good memories about my teenage years. <laughs> at this time, I did a lot of running because I liked it. But at the start, it was really for the weight control matter, to stay in the weight category. And that's why. There was my father who was going to run and me who was jogging to ensure that on the scale, nothing moved, which was really the case. It's not for nothing that I became interested in nutrition and turned it into my job. And then afterwards, it was the excuse to go running with my father because it's a real pleasure to be outside anyway. At the same time, I also did cross-country skiing, so I obviously had a taste for nature and the outdoors. I needed to get off the mats, but judo, it got me like you. It gave me a lot on the mental side, and I think it also messed me up at some point in my uh, in my development as a teenager because I was... Uh, 
I was focused. I was really too hyper-controlled about it, and I think it helped me. But it can also be a sport. I think now it's completely different. In the mentoring of young people, they are much more focused on prevention and health. But at that time, it was not a problem that young people went on a diet for weeks, took saunas the day before a match, and that their health took a hit. In terms of recovery, in terms of training, we were training hard. I don't know if you remember jogging on an empty stomach and all the hours and hours of training. It was a sport all the same which was rigorous, restrictive in certain aspects. And there was, of course, the pleasure. And the confrontation that you don't necessarily find in trail running, but which I find can be useful to surpass yourself in some cases. You told me that today you mainly run by yourself. Your motivation is really about pleasure. Your drive is pleasure. Exactly. Exactly. Pleasure, adventure, experiencing something. Yeah. Are you into traveling? Have you ever done runs for pleasure and discovery? Is it also a driving force? The travels, the discovery of other places, or do you mainly run in the area? So I run a lot in the area, but it's clear that there is also a drive to discover other landscapes. I remember in particular a race I did in the Pyrenees. What was it? It was the UTMB race in Val d'Aran. Oh, yes. It's true that I went there because I wanted to discover the Spanish Pyrenees. And voila. And what about it? When was it? Last year? Yeah, two years ago. It was just magical. I didn't know the Pyrenees at all. And thanks to this race, I discovered really wonderful landscapes. How long was the race? It was 105K. Wow, a tough one. This race makes me dream. I know my daddy is going to be part of it. It's soon. It's there in two weeks. Yeah, three weeks. We watched the teasers and everything together, and he was, yeah, it looks. Uh, Which one will your dad run? The 170K in order to earn a selection for the UTMB, since it's our dream to take the start there together. Ah, that's great. So uh, you're a Jura girl, but who likes terrain that's a little bit alpine, and you don't hesitate to go on a little bit of an adventure. We have that in France, but there are also other places. Have you traveled beyond France for the trails? So there were Spanish Pyrenees. I went a bit to the Dolomites to do some trail running. Yes. Then it's true that we're clearly lucky in France to have the Alps. We have an incredible playground, so I'm enjoying it by not going very far. And what about you? What was your first race? Do you remember it? <laughs> Real trail? Because I wouldn't put the word trail on my first runs or even just regular running it was a 10 kilometer i don't know if you remember i don't know a first bib yes so yes 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 i see so yes the period i told you about where i had stopped judo was very complicated i was brooding a little and i actually started running on the pretext of spending my time with my dad who had joined asics then la fuma then hoka Uh, so he was doing very nice races He made me dream with his distances, and for me it was my little moment when I could accompany him. When he would go out on long runs, I'd warm up with him. I did maybe 8, 10, 15 kilometers, and then at some point I would stop and let him do his session. It's a good excuse to spend time with him and for him to tell me a bit about his training and what was planned. 
because I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about training physiology and anything to do with it. And my first bib was the Templars run. So my father was in the big race, and the next day I took the start of the women's race, and it was wonderful. How many kilometers was it? So it was 19. It's still a distance, which was completely doable at the time. Afterwards, I had some hip issues. For me, after judo nutrition, I had a lot of food-related issues at the time. I was restricting myself around food. It was a brief period of anorexia. Running used to, here is how sometimes we start on the, not on the wrong path, not for the wrong, not for the wrong reason, but now I don't run at all for, uh, I left everything problematic behind in my relationship with my body and in my relationship to everything around this pathology behind me. Yes. But sometimes you can start a sport, maybe not for the right reason, and actually it changes. And so we grow, we evolve, and we can take real pleasure in it. Because maybe at that time, I said that I enjoyed running, and maybe it was just a bit to be in control of something, because there was no more judo, because there was more... Uh, it was still very, very psychological, all that. And the Templar run, it went very well for me, but I was still not very healthy. And I think that, uh, I think that after the fact that I didn't take on another bib after that, it was, it was also not, there were reasons. It was not a sport for me at the time. And actually, I put on a bib again when I arrived in Besançon. And afterwards, it was really, let's say, with the desire to compete. I got caught up in the game. I put on the bib on the Trail des Feurs, on the Trail des Reculés, at a somewhat local level. And then it went well. I started to make myself a small training program in my diary. I was saying, there I'm going to do, uh, with a few tips from my father, a little threshold session. Back in the day, I had no fancy watch, I had no gear, but I started like that. And with my friends, we signed up for the TAR. The Trail des Aiguilles Rouges and Chamonix. So for us, it was our field trip. It was our big journey of the year, our goal of the year. And I actually won it that year, but it was just having done a year of practice. It was just amazing. And then I got into the game. So the following year, I also did the Montagnard near Chamonix, and then Verber Saint Bernard, the Swiss peaks in Switzerland, which crosses the Valais a little bit. And here I was. Uh, these are races where I had very good performances, very good podiums. And there I decided to, yeah, to optimize my potential a little bit because I saw that there was something to do. And also I wanted to manage that and get a little help from a trainer because I think it's also important when you work to be able to have the mental pressure on the side to manage that when you want to be a little bit more professional in your approach. So there you go. What about your experiences? First races, first bib? Well, the first bib was 10 kilometers in Pontarly, where I live. And then afterwards, I did the transdu trails, short distances of 20 or 25 kilometers. I started on the road, and then afterwards, I got into trail running very quickly. I think for the nature side, the adventure side. I feel that you're passionate, that you need to be outdoors. And then I raised the distances little by little. I did 40, 45, a pair race, and some trails in the area over two days. And then I did my first ultra, it was the Jura Mountains, a 110 kilometer where I had a lot of fun, so it's a fairly easy trail, and I had a friend who said to me once, hey, 
do you want to register for the Valdaon Trail? And then the first thing I say to him is, yes, let's go. I don't know the Pyrenees. Let's do this. Not afraid. <laughs> go. And actually, I hadn't noticed all the elevation. As I mainly train in the Jura Mountains, I hadn't seen the positive elevation that was on this race. I signed up, and then afterwards, I saw that there was a good 6,500 elevation gain. So I said to myself that maybe I need to train a little bit. And then I ran this race, and clearly I had a hard time. It was very hard. But it made me want to do it again and go to the Alps and run on more technical paths than the Jura Mountains. The following year, I was lucky because the Val d'Aran was the first race of the UTMB circuit, and suddenly I had plenty of points. Then the same year, I did the MCC, which also brought me running stones, and I was able to register for the UTMB the following year. So I did the UTMB last year. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You have a hell of a... Your progression is impressive. Because going from 30, 40 kilometers to 100, 110 through, I imagine, training, how do you structure your... Yes. So I don't have a, unlike you, I don't have a coach. I don't have a training plan. It's a lot about feeling, about sensation. Okay, how many times a week do you run? It depends. Let's say when I have time, when I feel like it. And to be honest, it's very often that I feel like it. Let's say five times a week. Afterwards, I also switch a bit with road biking and winter cross-country skiing, and so on. There's a step, huh? Between 110 and 170. There is clearly a big step, and I don't think I was aware of it. It was to spend the two nights out because I don't have the level to do only one night out and two nights out. It's just atrocious. It's terrible. You have to put on the headlamp. Yeah, and then sleep management. That's very, very hard on the UTMB. It's managing fatigue. And how did you manage this on the UTMB? Did you prepare for that in your training? Did you take micro-naps? How did that happen? As I said, I don't think I realized it was going to be so hard. I took one or two micro-naps during the UTMB. I know I slept. How long did you sleep? Maybe 10 minutes in Champec. Okay, wow. And then maybe an hour after Champec. I was dead. I was really, really tired. Did you sleep again? I sat down on a rock and slept. That's it. And I don't know. I've seen headlights passing and passing and passing. And then at some point I woke up. But I think it was, you don't really have a sense of time when you're racing. But I think it was 10 minutes. It's true that it goes by and we don't realize. I really needed it. Then I went back on the path when the day broke. It's amazing how the body can regain a little bit of its energy. We are more, I mean, we still are tired, but we are not really tired anymore. It's impressive how the head can take over and um, the day goes by and depending on the conditions, on the external factors, that we manage to find a little bit of nothing. Well, hey, we still have the legs that are... Uh, they are even worse than 50 kilometers or 20 kilometers ago. Have you ever abandoned a race? No. 
No, I never <laughs> no? give up. Okay. Because I don't run fast, my goal is always to finish. In fact, this is my objective. Okay. So, no, I never gave up a race. Although, typically, the Val d'Aron one was very tough. But I didn't give up. I thought, what will happen? I'm going home. I mean, I will return to the accommodation. And there will be no one because I had no assistance whatsoever. So I said, I might as well finish. So, no, I never gave up a race, even if sometimes the mind is playing tricks on you. Have you ever thought about giving up on the Val d'Aran? Did that cross your mind? In Val d'Aran, I said to myself at one point, Manon, give up. And then in the end, I said to myself, no, it's useless. Keep going. Whether you go to sleep or run, you'll be disappointed tomorrow. So go ahead, carry on. Yeah, you asked yourself, why were you there? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And that anyway, you had to go all the way. It was still your main objective and that you could take the time you needed. You reassured yourself a little about your ability to finish and about the fact that you had, you had chosen to put on this bib, even without seeing the drop. That might be a lesson for the next time, I think. Maybe you're going to pay more attention to that when you sign up. (laughs) But yeah, I would happily have your advice on the UTMB because you say that you are going slower, but I have never finished a 170 kilometers so far. I took two starts of 170 kilometers. Both starts turned out to be a a failure in terms of goals because both times my goal was to finish. There was absolutely no target position. And the UTMB last year, in fact, I got sidetracked. I absolutely didn't expect to be at this place so soon, even at this place at all, and it completely took me out of my race. In Cormeilleur, I was really at the end of what I could give, and I, uh, well, I gave up in Cormeilleur. So you see, I gave up halfway. So when I hear you, you questioned yourself on, well, I'm going to make it to the end, that's my goal. I had the same goal as you, but somehow I wasn't able to say to myself, it's okay, I was in fourth place, but I can be in 50th or 20th. My goal is to go all the way. So sometimes, you see, I think we shouldn't hesitate to question ourselves as the effort progresses and as the race progresses. Why are we here? What is my main goal? Not to lose sight of this and not mope or let ourselves be completely overwhelmed by negative thoughts. Yeah. Because they are numerous. And actually, I think that when you spoke about sleep, fatigue, the body sends us signals. He plays tricks on us and tells us stop at some point. And I think it's things like that that can... It was difficult for you to make this decision decision, to actually quit, because that was clearly your goal. I mean, one of your goals last year. How, how did you feel at that moment when you said to yourself, okay, I quit? Yeah, it was my main objective last year, but uh, I realized that uh, I was not prepared enough. I dived in three months before, but the UTMB is legendary, and I've always experienced that through my dad. The finishes he was able to make, the TDS, which was for me, was the race I dreamed of doing at the time. The UTMB was the world-class race where the best runners who want to go around Mont Blanc are, uh, there are a mythical feeling about going around this mountain. There is also the sporting side of confronting myself to what is, for me, the real ultra trail world championship. Really, for me, that's what it's all about. And I think I got screwed a bit on the main objective side because I already had a year that was well accomplished and arrived at three-month point before the event with my trainer and we started to prepare and everything, but maybe not 
being enough, how do you say, focused on the goal. I got into it quite late. I didn't necessarily mentalize the run enough, mentalize the objective enough, and, and I was completely taken in on this. I lied to myself. I took the start. I was like, wow, I did not expect anything like this, such a fervor, the atmosphere. It's like the Tour de France. I don't know if you remember. That's exactly But up to Notre-Dame-de-la-Gorge, there are people everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but the maiden Jorah flags. It was crazy. It was crazy. And you get goosebumps, and you have cardio going, and your heart is beating 10 or 15 beats faster than it should be until nightfall, which is still quite long. And me, I get energy from the people around me. And when I arrived at Notre-Dame-de-la-Gorge, I had barely anything to drink. I was completely in a rhythm where I let myself be carried away by the atmosphere. And giving up was very difficult because I thought about that day and night. Yeah. And there I was. Since I signed up, I thought about this 10 times, 20 times a day. So now I think that I'm focused and that I will be able to better prepare and better understand it. And what you tell me, it echoes in me, the objective thing of finishing at all costs. I still have this goal this year, and I know that I may even be the favorite, like last year. It's still not easy to be expected to be in the top 10. I mean, in the top 10 favorites, but uh, there I am. I have a little more baggage and this first experience, which turned out to be complicated and was a failure for me because I did not manage to get around this. I only did half of the trail around the mountain. In any case, I hope this will serve as a lesson to me. You talked a lot about your dad. What relationship do you have with him, since you both have the same activity, the same passion? We have a very symbiotic relationship, very healthy about trail running. That is to say that we are both really passionate. I have seen my father passionate about things ever since I was very young. He is passionate about trails, but before he started trail running, he was passionate about music. He got up at five in the morning because my parents are innkeepers, and he played the violin until eight o'clock until serving breakfast to people. And then in the evening, he would go out. He has always practiced sports. Anyway, sport is part of, well, it's for me, it's intrinsic. It has always been in my life since I was little, but the music, during the lockdown, he wrote a book. We are a family of enthusiasts. We need to set goals for ourselves. We need to do things. Sport, it's true that it took this place for us, and it's really a family story. So the relationship with my father is above all that. The trail takes up a lot of space, but we can also talk about lots of other things because there are lots of other things that we are passionate about. And also, we now share great sessions together, so that's nice. So that's the relationship I have. We share a love for the same thing. Do you have a routine? A discipline that you have that is easy to follow? Any advice you can give? Yes, so for me, nutrition is something. I'm quite rigorous on that, since it's my job and because I know that it can also fail me over long distances. So I always, always eat the same meal before the races. I even want to say 48 hours before a race. I switch to rice-based meals with no vegetables at all, no raw vegetables at all, no fibers at all, and always the same meals. It reassures me. There are milestones for me that are reassuring, and it's also a pleasant meal. And I always, once again, need to be happy, not frustrated, because if at some point the sport brings constraint, it's more, well, it's not my approach. And I am convinced that we can remain happy, even in training, even if it's hard, and be efficient. And for some time, I have been working with a mental trainer who's been there for a few months. 
I also set up small visualizations before the races. It's very simple to do. In the end, it's being able to visualize your finish line, not to see you win, that's not it, but to see you arrive, visualize the emotions it gives you in the moment, even a little after the arrival, and then up, up, actually up as the race progresses in stages to visualize all your strategies, but also your feelings, milestones, up and up until before the race, that's super reassuring because suddenly it's a bit of a race plan. You have already experienced this. So you live the race a bit through thoughts, through what seems to you not ideal, but it's a bit of a race plan and it's super reassuring. For example, I don't know, but if you're stressed, then you'll start snacking a little bit before the race or not be able to sleep. If you've done all this visualization, you'll be able to find resources and support. Well, I had visualized that I was sleeping well, so presto. You set up the things that you saw, and intuitively, it's going to work on your bodily signals and your personal feelings. And then you'll feel the deadline and the stress much better than if you went there a little spontaneously without having anticipated a little bit. So I'm not saying that you have to anticipate everything. You shouldn't be too calculating either. But you have to use intuition to be in the moment. But it still allows, mm, I don't know, are you stressed before the starting line? A little bit. It can be. You see techniques a little bit, a little piece of advice. Me, I'm a very anxious person, always in a bit of a rush. So I need to be a little bit in control of things. I told you that I was sometimes needing to be in total control a little bit too much. But now I know that I can be a little bit more spontaneous, but still in control by having anticipated certain aspects. And it allows on long distances to leave room for the unexpected because there are plenty of those moments moments. And that stresses you out. It adds something. And at least when you've done that work beforehand in terms of adaptability to manage these unforeseen events, well, it's much easier, you know. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's certainly simpler. So we're going to say routines. Yes, there are plenty of little ones. But above all, it's about being able to set up things that remind you of your daily life, that don't completely get you out of your habits. You still have to stay true to yourself, be true to your rhythms, your own diet. But having anticipated a little of the period before the race, the during and the after the race will allow you to reassure yourself. So can you share with us your favorite pre-race meal? Ah, the foodie. I don't know if that will be to your taste. I don't eat meat and I like risottos. I mean, the Italian culture and food. I make a risotto with seeded zucchini because you have to avoid fiber and everything. But I still add a little vegetables, of course. I have a spirulina maker who lives not far from my house who makes spirulina in ponds, which is excellent. And I make spirulina risotto with a little tofu, a little zucchini, and that's it. It's energetic and it's very good. I cook it with a little coconut milk. There are really nice aromas and flavors. And then it's really nice before a race to have a good meal with friends or with my husband. It's reassuring. It brings up good emotions. And it gives me strength for the next day. And it's very gentle on my digestive system. Well, I don't know if this makes you hungry. Well, I will keep that in mind. I'm taking notes for my next race. Yeah, it makes me want to try it. I'll give you the recipe. How about your pre-race meal? Well, I don't have a particular routine. I think you have a lot to teach to me about nutrition because I'm not used to it. I'm a pretty big foodie, so I don't restrict myself. It's almost snack time, that's normal. <laughs> to a routine regarding food. I don't know if you have any tips for me. A breakfast, for example? 
In the end, it depends on your own habits. The goal is, once again, nutrition, but it must remain enjoyable. There are some basics, of course. We know what not to do, but on the to-do side, everything has to be built in relation to your own habits. We hear a lot about savory breakfasts, but for people who don't eat in the morning or aren't hungry, it's hard to eat a couple of fried eggs or toast with goat cheese when you don't have any appetite. So you really have to start from you, and then it's a little bit of building, a little bit of improvement, a little bit of about the quality of your plate, enrich your plate little by little with foods and products. We have plenty of local producers here. We still have plenty of market gardeners, plenty of good food. It's above all choosing the right products, and then with good products, we can compose some good meals. So when you do two, three, four workouts a week, depending on your job, there's also, it's also important to have a rhythm. So breakfast can be very important, but the snack or the evening meal is also interesting to be able to focus on, to allow you to recharge your batteries after your workouts, to also get good sleep. We know that food, when it is a little richer in animal protein in the morning, allows us to be really good in the morning or late afternoon sessions. And when the food is rather vegetarian in the evening, then I'm not saying that you have to be completely rigid about your diet, but if you are invited and it's a plancha or a raclette, it's all right. But on a daily basis, if you manage to have a rather vegetarian-based dinner at the end of the day, it helps a little with the secretion of melatonin with falling asleep. And then, as we say, those who eat well recover well and sleep well, so it's good to cover those bases. So you see, these are the broad outlines, and then there is the effort, of course. And here I can give you advice, but that would still mean that, as, a, as we say, the cobbler's children have no shoes, because I still have real problems to eat properly in the race. This is how you have to experiment. You have to test. You have to train yourself to eat during the effort. I think that's a goal for your, your future objectives. And moreover, you are going to tell me a little bit about all this later. But it's above all, if you are going out doing ultras, there's a practice, but there's also practice carrying your bag, picking up the pole sand, eating and drinking. Because we get nothing for nothing, and it's precisely one of the factors of performance, but also of success. And when I say performance is not elitist, that's the end. That's the goal like yours. I have the same goal as you for this summer to go around Mont Blanc. You did it last year. I hope that I will succeed this year. So it is rather, and perhaps even for you to give me advice in relation to that, you see? It's true that nutrition seems to be something that's important to you. When did you want to make it your job? So I really wanted to help people, to treat people. My brother is a doctor now, so you see health, it has always been a bit at the heart of our concerns. It was around the age of 13 or 14 when I became interested in osteopathy and nutrition. For me, it was really about alternative medicine, but which seemed essential to me to be in good health. And when I say good health, it is as much physical as mental. Because as I was telling you about earlier during my teenage years with sports, self-esteem, the construction of my identity, I had a slightly complicated phase, nutritionally speaking, but in the end, it was more psychological than anything else. And then little by little, I started my studies in Lyon. I did a scientific preparatory course, and then afterwards I continued studying eating behaviors and then also public health prevention. 
And I've always been interested in eating behaviors in the areas of sport, and it actually helps me a lot in my approach of eating behaviors with athletes, too, because we're not just, uh, we sometimes have in mind that athletes are like robots who eat the right nutrients, the right calories that make up for their training. Well, it's really very, there are also emotions involved. We also have ups and downs, and suddenly, through food, through motivation, through private life, it is felt. We also have ups and downs. I really like supporting people in their uh, search for performance, and again, in their sports goals through nutrition. But it's a whole thing. It's the diet that affects all these characteristics. And one day, when I will no longer put on a race bib, I will continue to run for myself. But I will also continue, I think, to follow competitors or athletes on their goals because it really is something exciting. Outside of sport, is there anything you like to do? An activity, something that relaxes you particularly? I sing a little bit to relax in the car because I hate driving. So singing loudly while putting the music on full blast is something I like. Sometimes I have different needs, moments of calm, and obviously I love to cook. There you go. I'm hungry now. Well, we talked a lot about food. <laughs> but cooking, yes, it is my hobby that relaxes me after a hard day of work, after training. And I always have a lot of food in the fridge for just in case. We also have a farmer's market nearby, so we have good veggies, and every evening it's like, so what am I going to make with that? And it's only 20 minutes, but at least it relaxes me. It sets up good meals and prepares for the evening that will follow, and it's also a good moment that I often share with my husband, who gives me a hand. It's our little moment for us, the preparation of a meal and the meal as such, and we still don't have many shared moments like that, so they are precious. And you, a little moment of relaxation, where do you let go? Let's say walking in nature with my dog, and then family time. It's also important, I think, uh, to recharge my batteries in the Jura, in the Du. We talked a lot about sports and running. Do you have any icons that you look up to? Mm, I'm not someone who's really easily starstruck or have an admiration for one person in particular. Uh, I like to be inspired by people because it's my job to listen to stories and experiences and their history, really, from their past of my patient. So I'm mainly inspired by Mr. and Mrs. Everybody, someone with ambition, with a project, who lead their life towards their goals. Mm, a mom who has three kids and started competing in a sport. Or it could be maybe a dad who's leading a business and is playing an instrument and has gigs on the weekends, has concerts, and um, someone ambitious who manages their time on their own accordingly without any outside help. Oh, I find it very inspiring, very touching. I really want to be inspired by these kinds of people to move forward in life. So not anybody particular or a star that uh, inspires me. What about you? Is there someone? I could say the feminist Simone Weil for everything she did for women. 
But I'll say Mike Horn for his adventurous mindset. I'm really inspired by his mindset. Mm -hmm. You were talking about women, women in the world, women in sport. How do you think uh, the place of women in sport is uh, evolving? It's going the right way. We can see more and more women in sports. But when I watch a race like Ultra, there is only 10% of women. But more and more, women are taking their place. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. My objective is to be inspired by many people, including women. Like I said, when I am with patients, or through traveling, other cultures, or even through competitions. But if I can also bring inspiration through social media, it is still a bit surprising to me that, but if I can help women to achieve their goals, uh, no matter what that is, it's wonderful. During the World Championship, I received a message from a mother whose daughter started running since I started working with her. She needed my helping hand to start running with her mom and, above all, to start taking care of her health in her own hands. And that's the most beautiful thing I can bring in the world. There is still a lot of work to be done for women in sport so that they can take their rightful place, to take time, to dare to go run or, or to play badminton. I, I think it's honorable. To take their place, it's important. Good. Now that we know each other well, I am under the impression that I have a good understanding of who you are, and it seems to me that you have a pretty good idea of who I am as well. We're going to play a little game. Among these three pieces of information, only one is true. So yeah, one true and two false. You'll have to find which one it is. When I was 17, my father and I ran the 30 kilometers Trail des Feux. The speaker announced, Bohard is in the lead. Everyone thought it was my father, of course, since he was a favorite, but in fact, it was me. I finished three minutes earlier than he did, and I think every year he still secretly hopes for revenge. The second, I took singing lessons for years. I was even selected for the casting of the French equivalent of American Idol when I was young, and I decided not to go. And the third, one of my secret passions that I haven't told you about, is medieval reenactment. I participate once a month when my schedule allows it in events with the company. It's called the Brotherhood of the Centaurs. And our last big event was in Andalie during the Pentecost weekend. I would say the third, because I have the impression that you are passionate about culture. No, that's not true. I'm sorry. Oh, damn. You can play again because I'm a gambler. <laughs> Let's say that the first one, it seems to me that it's early for... I was 17. Yeah, 17 years old. Trail des Faux, three minutes in advance. I find that a bit young. Come on, I would say the second. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. I didn't know you had singing talent. <laughs> yes, it was the case. I, uh, I made a lot of music. But uh, it, it was not a passion in the sense for me, uh, if there was a choice between singing lessons and then cross-country skiing lessons, it was an easy choice. But I had made some demos and quite a few CDs. 
And actually, my singing teacher was pushing me a little bit further than what I was doing. So he sent a mock-up to, it was called Young Pop Idol at the time, and they actually selected me. They called me in, and I didn't understand what they were saying because I told them, I don't understand, I never sent anything. And I learned that it was he who did that, and uh, I didn't go. Okay, my turn. So I'm giving you two false informations and a true one. I named my dog Killian because from an early age, he ran faster than me during my training. I developed a game on the theme of personal development, which is based on theoretical principles from psychology and transactional analysis. Last one. As you know, I started sports by playing badminton, and I did a few departmental and regional competitions. I kept the shuttlecock of my first competition as a lucky charm, and I always run with it when I'm on a race. The third one without hesitation. The badminton shuttlecock? It's wrong. Oh no, I'm so disappointed. Is it the dog? Not either. So I created a self-coaching game with tools for coaching, communication, and personal development. In particular, there are small visualization exercises and so on in it. Ah, what form does it take? Is it an app? No, it's a card game that is available in stores. All right, I am interested and curious. You have many talents because I imagine that creating a game must be... uh... It was a bit of a hustle, but I can thank the COVID lockdown for giving me time to work on it. There were passions and projects that were revealed during the COVID period. There are still good things to take out of that time. Mm The UTMB asked its community what questions they would like to ask you. I will be the spokesperson for a few of those. Okay. There is a question from Timothy D. Your dad is a very well-known trail runner. Is it an asset or can it be a form of pressure for you? Mm, there's no pressure at all. I was often compared to him at the beginning, it's true. But then it's not something that I... We really have something... It's very healthy with my dad. There's really no rivalry. We challenge each other, but it's really something... Well, it's really to boost each other. He is aiming to maintain his level, so if I manage to gradually get to his level, I would be rather proud. It's something that's challenging to me to manage to reach his level one day. Because indeed, he has quite a track record, but he has, above all, mental resources which are quite, quite exceptional. I find him to be quite a role model in relation to that. But no, it doesn't bother us, because now I really, I find I really have my personality. I don't always agree with what he does or the races he does. So we each have our trajectories, our goals, and yeah, no, I don't think it's an issue for us neither one nor the other, it's not a burden. On the other hand, the only thing is sometimes a lot of people from the trail community and people in general, sometimes they come to the inn and we want to be together. It can be a lot through that as if we couldn't also talk about other things. I like it, but at some point you have to take a break and talk about something else. There are plenty of other things that I like, but otherwise it's really something very healthy. And we have a question from Tiffany. 
What is your guilty pleasure during training? Uh, I'm quite, uh, well, uh, I love cappuccinos and I also love, uh, I really like beer and I love red wine too. I'm still not the daughter of an innkeeper for nothing. I think we are, uh, here's the right meal, a good beer after training or a good glass of red wine. And to be frank, before the world's the weekend before, I didn't even ask myself that question. I had a little bit of a retreat on the weekend before the big week. Before such a race, I had friends who were home because they were running the Swiss Canyon, which was next door to my parents, and I had a beer on Saturday night, and then a glass of wine. And I absolutely did not ask myself the question about it, even if we were a week before the Worlds. As long as it's pleasurable, and when the pleasure decreases, I stop. It doesn't seem problematic to me. And for me, it's a real pleasure. Here it is. A good beer, one, in moderation. Guilty pleasure, I would say that, or the cappuccinos, or that kind of thing. But I'm not very salty, cheeses, meats, all that. I don't eat meat. I'm not at all interested in that. It's not very sexy. <laughs> we have a last question from Antoine. You're on Facebook, but why aren't you using Instagram? Uh, because uh, I'm 31, but I can't use a phone properly. <laughs> no, but really, it's about time. I know I need to do it. I enjoy exchanging on social networks, but uh, social networks take so much time to have a proper communication, and uh, Instagram requires more time than I have at the moment. Well, I might get it done thanks to some tips from the French national trail team. You can automate things. They are on all the social networks. They're on Facebook, Instagram, etc. And we can do more than one thing at a Time. Yes. Yes, I need to get over it and take the time to do it. Yes. Uh, I'm running after time, and time is running after me, and uh, I need to get up to speed. Mm. I suggest we talk a little bit about what's next. Because we are coming to the start of summer. Do you have any big goals? <laughs> yes. So I have the CCC at the end of August. So we'll see. Ah, super. And your main goal on the CCC, what is it? It's always to finish. It's to finish, okay. It's always about finishing. And then we'll see. To your honor in any case. I don't like to put a time barrier or anything. Because really for me, the first objective is to finish in good shape and not injured. Okay. A beautiful summer is looming. What about you? The next events? Because you just finished the trail running world championships. Yes. Yes, we are just two days after. I am 48 hours away from the World Championships. I admit that in my head, the next step is the UTMB. Even during the race of the World Championships, I thought it will be useful for the UTMB. Everything is still focused around that, even if it was the team above all, and I was focused on that. I still had it in the back of my mind. This will help. This will help. The whole puzzle, in fact, is created around this race. So here it is. And before that, I do the summer Pieramenta with a friend. Brilliant. So until Monday, 
until Sunday I'm out. I really need to take a mental break and to recharge the batteries, especially mentally, because physically, it's still going well. I'm knocking on wood. The Piera Menta will actually kickstart me a little bit. I think I'll just be in a recovery phase because it's in only two weeks. I will be able to regain a little bit of speed and stamina again. And yeah, I will go to Arrache Beaufort to have fun and maybe try a woman's ranking. Then I go to Mauritius to do the Dodo Trail. Oh, great. Yeah, it's a 50K. It's very wild. It's very tropical. We're in a park that's slightly natural. So it's really, uh, it's going to be with the idea of taking a trip and then doing some preps. But there's above all being part of the trail running community. So here it is, Mauritius at the end of July. And then afterwards, I will train for the UTMB. I will be going to Val Torrens with Hoka and on the trail once, twice, maybe three times to be ready for the 1st of September. And after that, I'll take a good break and it will depend on how I'm feeling towards the end of the year. If I want to put on a bib, maybe I'll do it. It's funny because we've taken the start on some of the same races together. We had similar goals and I'm under the impression that we still have races and objectives that are certainly similar, but always on races that we truly want to run. Here, we are like you and I. Mm-hmm. It's true that I see myself in you. Where I was last year when I did the UTMB, when you're in this phase, when you're only thinking about that, I know that last year I lived UTMB, I slept UTMB, I ate UTMB, I spoke UTMB. Everything was linked to the UTMB. It was, I think that you also experienced that in the past. Mm, mm. And I imagine that this year it's the same. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, but you also have to have, I think, long-term objectives. And that's what's important because when you put so much energy into it, the hardest part isn't the goal, it's the aftermath. It's that moment when everything falls back, the goal, it passed. And then you have to say to yourself, but what am I going to do? How am I going to fill the space? It's also important to plan something after. It may or may not be a race. It can be a wedding, children, other bibs, a house project, anything personal, not just sports. Life is more than just sports. I find that it's interesting to have a sequel afterward because it takes a lot of energy. And after some goals that have been so difficult and took a lot of sacrifices to achieve, the fall, the post-ultra depression. Uh, it's a bit like that. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm sure you felt that last year, despite the fact that you finished. I'm sure you had this little moment. But it's always that. It's true that after a race, you're on a little cloud, and then afterwards. I know that sometimes it's a downfall if you don't have a new goal behind it or something. As you say, personal. Yes, you have to manage the aftermath too. Anyway, I had a great time with you, Manon. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best for your loop around the Big Rock next August. Yes. Ah, it's even in September, I believe. Yes, September 1st. This is a date to remember. Thank you, Manon. It was a great moment. Thank you. See you soon. That's it for today. We hope you enjoyed this moment and found some inspiration to get out on the trail paths. If you did, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend, a colleague, or someone you just crossed paths with. If you don't want to miss the next episode, subscribe to the podcast and follow at UTMB World Series on social media. We will be back next month for a new extraordinary meetup. Stay tuned.